If you have your Bibles here, please won't you turn with me to the book of Colossians and we are really in the home straights of this book. If you're new with us this morning, we as a church have been going through this book and we really only have two or three messages left over here. And it's been amazing how immensely practical this book has been. I love the kind of picture that is being painted by this book, starting off with some of the most beautiful, rich theology of the whole New Testament. In other words, just passages trying to stretch our mind and our heart to even begin to understand who Jesus is and what He's done for us, and then going into such practical matters of faith. And I love the picture that's being painted here, really, that real faith matters in real life. So we've been talking about eating and drinking and festivals and uh, um, legalism and sin and family and parenting and children and church and relationships and forgiveness, right? And now we're going to take this one step further. We've spoken about work last week because real faith matters in real life. And I'm so challenged by this book, but we are going to move now as we end towards the end of the book, we're going to be kind of circling around to where we began as Paul is going to encourage us as a church, which means you, to be praying, to be a praying people. Uh, the reason why I say circling around again is because for those of you who may be with us in the opening chapters, otherwise turn to the opening chapters, you can read it for yourself. The way Paul starts off this book, he says something like this. He says, I've not stopped praying for you. Later on, he says things like, I'm struggling for you. As he's writing this book, he's saying, here's what I want for you, but I want you to get this picture behind the theology, behind this intelligence man, behind these thoughts, behind these teachings, behind these ideas is a man on his knees in prayer. And in many ways, this book was birthed in prayer. Paul saying, here's what I'm praying for you. I want you to get, I hope that the Spirit allows you to see what I'm saying about Jesus. And I'm praying for your practical lives. So this book was birthed in prayer. And this book, in many ways, is sustained by Paul in prayer. And it's almost as if Paul is saying, as incredible as these teachings are, they are not enough on their own. It's not about the knowledge. It's not just about the data. It's about the fact that I'm tapping into a living act of God and I'm praying to a living act of God on your behalf. And if all you receive is data, I failed. So God is the one who needs to help you get this. God is the one who's gonna bring conviction. God is the one who's gonna change your hearts. So this is kind of the Apostle Paul behind the writing on his knees, praying for this church and all the others that he wrote to now, not only did Paul model that kind of ministry, but Jesus modeled that kind of ministry. It's not like Jesus did all these wonderful things and miracles and feeding 5,000 people and walking on water and prayed. No, rather, it's that he was able to do these things because he was empowered by prayer. Prayer was the backdrop for Jesus' ministry and before all of his major uh, decisions and, and these major events in his life was often a night of prayer. And so in the same way, we're going to be kind of challenged to take that baton forward as Paul the Apostle is praying for us. I am in many ways praying for us these very same things, but we now, as we get to the end of the book, are going to be encouraged to take this forward. Now, I'm aware, I'm aware 
that when you realize this morning that the main topic of today is prayer, I'm aware, and I say this without judgment, that only a minority here were like, yeah, yes, prayer. I'm aware that for most of us, as you saw the, the, the sermon title, we saw we were going to speak on prayer today, most of us felt an invisible sort of wave of guilt wash over you. Right, something I must be doing, but I'm not doing it. And I'm a Christian, so I need to be praying more, but I'm not praying more. All right, I'm aware that that was probably where most of you are at. Some of you probably rolled your eyes, quite honestly. Now, prayer, done that, tried that, doesn't work. Maybe some of you are actually completely indifferent to prayer. You're like, uh, to be honest, Steve, uh, my life is going along just fine. I don't really need to be bringing more of this prayer stuff into my life. Maybe for some of you, it's a real tension. A tension because you read about the power of prayer, you hear sermons on the power of prayer, you've tried it and you've seen kind of stuff go wrong and you still, life is still hard and life is still a challenge. And so there's this almost emotional tension around the topic of prayer. Like I want to believe in prayer, but I'm struggling to believe in prayer. Right, I'm aware that so many of us are in one of those categories here this morning. I know for me, I often struggle with prayer because I look at the Scriptures and stuff just happens in my life and I'm on the cold face and I get busy. And part of my temptation is to believe that I can get by without prayer. How many of you have, I'm not going to ask you to put up your hands, but how many of you have started with all the best intentions in the world? You've started, you know, some sort of uh, commitment to pray. So, you know, as of tomorrow morning, 5 a.m., I am going to start praying an hour a day, right? Uh, again. What? Hello? Okay, I'm just going to carry on. All right, so... For those of you who did manage to not snooze the next morning, all right, and you actually started. So you prayed the one morning, you were tired because you're not used to praying that early. Uh, and then maybe you even did the second day, maybe even a third day. Maybe even made a full week and you're completely exhausted, but you really feel like you've been doing the right thing, right? Then you get to the next week and you're like, you know what, I don't know if I need to wake up every morning at five. So, so let me give myself a break on Wednesday. Right? Okay? So give us up a break. The following week, oh, what about Monday? I mean, I'm tired from the weekend. So let me give myself a break on Monday and Wednesday. And at some point, maybe you've looked back and you've reflected on what that last two, three, four weeks has looked like. And at some level, I would imagine that many of you have kind of evaluated things. have gone, listen, when I was praying or not praying or when I was up every morning or when I was sleeping through the whole week, our life was pretty much the same. So at some level, we become convinced that, well, therefore, maybe I don't need to pray. And, and I think part of that is because we live in a microwave world where we can download movies and everything comes to us so quickly and we want immediate results. And out of almost everything we do in life, prayer is, and I'm going to qualify what I'm about to say, Prayer is probably the area in our life where we see the lowest immediate return on investment. So you go to work, you show up, you do something, you see results. Doesn't matter what you do. At some point, all right, sales increased or you had some meetings and decisions were made. 
Or if you put some time into a relationship, marriage, family, you start to feel different about this person, you start to improve in the dynamic of this relationship, right? Even in the Christian world, even if you read the Bible, so you open up the Bible, uh, even if you don't fully understand it, so don't fully know what to do with it, at least you've got something to wrestle with, something to chew on, something to chat to people about. Come to church on a Sunday. All right, even if you don't fully connect with the worship, something gets communicated to you during the message and at the very, very least, you go home with a cup of coffee and a great brownie, all right? Some return on investment, but then we get to our prayer life. And because we're not seeing those kinds of immediate results, something in us, and I know as Christians, you'll never admit it out loud because we're not allowed to say these things, right? Right? But at some level, we're concluding, well, therefore, prayer doesn't work and doesn't matter. And I believe that the very simple short verse that we're going to be reading this morning is going to push us into and a different engagement and invite us into a different engagement of prayer. So let's read it. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2. One short little verse that packs a big punch. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, And thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be looking at the three key words up there. We're going to be looking at the word devote, watchful, and thankful. And and I really am trusting God that He's going to re help us reimagine what it means to have a life of prayer and invite us to re-engage the life of prayer. All right, so what is the first word of, of, of that verse? Devote, devote. Now, I don't have to open up the Greek language. The Bible is written in Greek. I don't have to open up and try and teach you what devote means. Most of us instinctively know what it means to be devoted. Without a dictionary definition, it pretty much means we're committed to something for the long haul. Now, some of you are devoted to a sports team. All right, or to a Formula One team. And, and, and the real definition of devotion won't be flipping and flopping depending on who's winning. But if you're truly devoted to your team, you'll stick by them even when they are losing, right? Now, some of you are going to be, not be devoted to a sports team, but you're devoted to sports or, to, or going to gym. I mean, I know Craig sits here and I know Craig gets up early several times a week, if not four or five times a week, because he's devoted to this thing. Now, someone who goes to gym once or twice a month, we wouldn't say they're devoted. But some of us have a hobby or a sport where we are devoted. And come winter, rain or sun, we are up because we committed to this thing for the long haul. Some of us are maybe, if I had to say to you, you know, I know a couple who are devoted to one another in their marriage. What kind of picture comes into your mind? Like two high school kids? No. <laughs> a couple that have demonstrated their long-term commitments. A couple who have been in it for at least a few years. A couple who have been through some rough seasons and have demonstrated their long-term commitments. That's what it means to be devoted. And in the same way, Paul is saying, now let's get devoted to prayer. And I really believe there's something to learn about prayer from this word devoted. Because if I think about these other examples, I think you would agree with me that the real change in our commitment, the real change in our relationship and in ourselves changes at the level of devotion. 
So for example, you can really only say you are a, a Ferrari fan if you have supported them through the low seasons. All right, and, and, and in spite of all of that, you are proudly Ferrari, and then you sense your heart commitment to the team. All right, if we talk about sports, your body only starts to change once you are at a point of devotion. Going to gym, I'm sorry to say, once a month will not change you. It will not transform you. And even if you go every day, it doesn't happen in the first week. It doesn't happen in the second week. It doesn't happen in the third week. The results only really start showing up in your life in month two, month three, and as you continue along that trend. And in a relationship as well, you're not going to experience the deep benefits of a relationship after two weeks of dating. But only after being in a devoted relationship where you've had to really put some, down some deep roots in those hard seasons and you've had to establish like, what am I in this for? You've had to establish some priorities in your life. Only then would I argue, are you really starting to get into the nuts and the bolts of what a great relationship is actually about? So it's that level of devotion that really starts to bring transformation to our lives. And the same has to be in prayer. I think a lot changes in us when we go from being monthly or weekly prayers to devoted prayers. And in the same way that Jim takes a couple of months to start, we start seeing the change in ourselves. I think the same is true in prayer. I want to highlight a number of things that I believe happen to us as we start engaging a devoted life of prayer as opposed to the occasional life of prayer. And the first thing is a devoted prayer life cultivates our dependence on God. See, here's the thing. And I know we as Christians, I mean, we know to say all the right things. We say things like, oh, I really depend on God. But then we pray once a month. And as much as you say you depend on God, the way you're living belies the fact that you actually depend on yourself. But if you're living a devoted prayer life where daily you are submitting yourself before God and you're declaring, God, I cannot do this day without you. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me today what I need, right? Doesn't matter what I'm doing. I am training myself to cultivate a sense that I, I am dependent on God for everything. Where Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's the first thing that I believe happens in a devoted prayer life. The second one is a devoted prayer life matures us. Because the more time is spent in the presence of the Lord, the more time we are concerned about praying the kinds of things He wants us to pray about, the more we are coming in touch and direct contact with His Word, with His living spirit and His active presence in our lives, we are going to be transformed in that place. And the trajectory of transformation in the Christian life is towards maturity. That only starts to happen in a devoted prayer life. Number three, a devoted prayer life purifies our prayers. I mentioned to you that I started doing the course of my sabbatical, started writing a book. Uh, I got a large portion of it done during the sabbatical, but since then it's been a lot of kind of editing and going back and forth. And um, when people say, I'm going to write a book, that's actually not true. Because if you're writing a book, the truth is you're writing 20 books. Because you're rewriting it. And you're going back. And then you maybe put it down for a few weeks and go back to it and realize, that's not what I want to say. Actually, this is what I want to say. 
And then you get some people to read your book and maybe even some editors. And they're gonna come back to you and say, listen, Steve, I'm very confused. Well, what are, what's really going on here? What are you trying to say? Or maybe, actually, Steve, I see where you're going with this. May I suggest to you a better way to say that? And the more we're praying and the more we're being persistent in prayer and devoted in our prayer life, in the same way, we're gonna start thinking intentionally through what is it I'm asking God for? What are my motives? Do my motives and do my requests match up with His Word and His character? And we're gonna start editing and maturing and purifying the kinds of things we're asking for, right? So that's the third thing. And the fourth thing is, a devoted prayer life is gonna nurture patience within us. And we love nurturing patience in our lives, right? No. As we learn to wait on the Lord and be attentive to His voice and observant of what He's saying to us and how He's answering His prayers, we're gonna grow patience. But this is not a passive patience. Like I prayed on Monday, now I'm gonna sit and wait. Rather, this is an active patience, actively waiting on the Lord. Sam Storms, who wrote one of the commentaries that I'm reading on the book of Colossians, this is what he said. He said, waiting on the Lord is far from a passive posture. It's an active, expectant, persistence pressing in to the heart and purposes of a loving God. I love that. So here's a question for you. We're talking about prayer and devotion. So which comes first, prayer or devotion? In other words, do I pray until I feel devoted or do I pray once I feel devoted? Do you understand? And I, I really think this is a bit of a chicken and egg scenario because I think the answer to both questions is yes, right? Yes. As we pray, devotion builds within us. And as we are feeling devoted, we are gonna start praying more and trusting God more. There's a great book that I really suggest many of you get hold of. It's called The Power Through Prayer by an old, a guy called E.M. Bounds. And this is what he says. He says, prayer is the creator as well as the channel of devotion. The spirit of devotion is the spirit of prayer. Prayer and devotion are united as soul and body are united. There is no real prayer without devotion and no devotion without prayer, which is why Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now, this isn't easy. Nothing of great value actually comes to us easily. Transformation in our lives, in our physical lives, in our mental, spiritual, in our inner world never comes easily. And why do we think it's gonna be any different with something as powerful as prayer? In a couple of weeks time, we're gonna have someone who's gonna actually preach more on these verses, but listen to uh, how Paul describes someone who is devoted to prayer in verse 12 of this chapter. He talks about Epaphras, who is one of you. So he's just a guy in the church, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Now we go, oh, I'm wrestling in prayer. No, no, let's think about wrestling. I mean, I wrestle with my kids who are seven and nine and I need a nap after that, right? I, and I am no longer in a physical form where I can wrestle with someone who is of my equal weight. Have you ever watched these Olympic wrestlers? I mean, it just looks like the worst thing in the world. I would not wish that upon anybody because these guys are strong and tough and gritty and sweaty and resilient. And I'm not talking about where guys put on makeup and big belts and, you know, I'm, not, I'm talking about the real deal. 
right? Wrestling is not easy. It requires deep resources of strength. So the question is, why on earth do that? And I think the only reason why anyone does any sport or any physical exertion to that level is because there's something far deeper that drives them. And so when Paul talks about someone wrestling in prayer, or earlier in the book he says, I'm struggling for you. Why, why go there? Why get to the point where I'm sweating and I'm, I'm digging into the deepest resources of my soul in order to pray? And it's hard. And I believe the same is true. We will only do that, not because you heard a great sermon, but because you become convinced of something far greater. You become convinced of the kind of God who works through prayer. The kind of God that you get to know in prayer. The kind of God who transforms you in that quiet place in prayer. The kind of God who has chosen to exercise a lot of His power through His praying people. And I also believe it comes to the point where we become convinced that the kinds of things I'm praying for will never happen apart from prayer. I mean, so some of you, and, and I've done this, um, being, you can drive into pick and pay and pray that the Lord gives you a parking near the front. Now, if you do find a parking near the front, was that God? Or I don't know. But feel free to pray for that, right? But that's never going to inspire wrestling. But what about when you start praying for the salvation of your children? When you start praying for your marriage? When you start praying for some of the things that God needs to work in you and work out of you? Or what happens when you start praying for revival? What happens when you start praying for God to do incredible, life-changing, eternity-shifting things in this church and through this church? What about when you start praying for the south of Joburg to be a different place because of the churches? Or Johannesburg to be a different place? Or South Africa to be a different place? Or the world for that matter? Suddenly, you've gone way past parking spaces at pick and pay. And suddenly, man, I'm willing to wrestle for that. Now, as we think about this word wrestling, please don't conjure up in your mind some form of clash of wills. Somehow, if I wrestle hard enough, I can make God do what I'm asking. Rather, I believe this picture of wrestling is a stubborn commitment to believe God. A stubborn commitment to believe His Word, to believe His character, to believe His promises, what He is promising to do in you and through you and in us and through us. That He is faithful, that He is a good Father who is for us, not against us. That if we ask and seek and knock, that He is going to answer our prayers, right? And I believe as we stubbornly refuse to let go of those truths, that is going to allow us to be devoted in prayer, even to the point of wrestling with God in prayer. So that's just one word. We've got two to go. And it already maybe feels like a full sermon. So I'll spend a bit less time on the next two words. The next word that I want to talk about in this verse that we're looking at this morning is the word watchful. Be devoted in prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. Now, being watchful is, means to be alert, to be vigilant, to be awake. This word actually comes up a number of times in the New Testament, helps us understand what is being meant by this verse. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep clothing and inwardly they're wolves. 
In other words, for the person who's not watching out, they're going to go, oh, some more sheep. But the one who is watching is going to recognize the true nature of these people. Jesus says, watch out, no one deceives you. Remember the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus invites some of the disciples to come and pray with them. He says, watch, remain watchful. And what did they do? Well, they fell asleep. Then Jesus says, Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In another verse, Paul calls elders to keep watch over the flock that God has entrusted to them. So this whole idea of being watchful, what you're seeing here is this attentiveness, this alertness, this vigilance, this wakefulness concerning just all matters around us, but specifically with an eye for the intrusion of danger. Now, recently, um, the remake of The Lion King has come out, and I, I highly recommend that you go watch it. It really is a treat for the eyes. Um, most of you here have probably seen The Lion King several times, and if I had to ask most of you, who are your favorite characters in The Lion King? Most of you, 95% of you would say Timon and Pumbaa. I think partly because we're South Africans, and we, we love, I mean, never do you see a warthog and feel sad, right? Warthogs are always happy creatures, especially when they're in the shape of a, uh, a barbecue or something like that. But, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Maybe I need an editor. Anyway. And, and meerkats. I mean, they're just cheerful creatures, right? So, I mean, every time we go to the zoo, Bianca ensures that we go spend a lot of time looking at the meerkats. Now, meerkats live underground. They live in these burrowed worlds, but they come out into the sun. And man, they just always look so chilled when they're chilling in the sun, right? Uh, the, all you need is a bit of an umbrella and a you know, pina colada. That's kind of what they evoke, Right? But as they're kind of rummaging around, the problem with the meerkat is that not only are they cute and fluffy, but they're the perfect meal size for an eagle or a black-backed jackal. And so meerkats will have sentinels parked around. And apparently meerkats have excellent eyesight, and they can almost see the eagle from as far as the eagle can see them. And, and, and as soon as they see this danger, they let out this short, shrill cry, and then all the meerkats go safely underground. And this is what God is calling us to. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, we are being trained to be vigilant. We are being trained to be watchful. But Jesus says that we are to pray every day, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, in the right circumstances, I don't need to tell you to be watchful. Imagine we had a church Camping trip, we went out to the middle of Botswana near where these guys went for the mission trip. And guys, we're going to park out here for a couple of weeks and we're just going to enjoy the wildlife. But on a different night, each of us has to keep watch for lions. Now imagine it's your turn. And I want to show you how a spirit of watchfulness promotes prayer and then prayer promotes watchfulness. Because if I'm saying, watch out for lions, you're going to be sitting out there saying, please Lord, please Lord, please Lord, please Lord, please Lord, <laughs> right? And you're like, please don't let me fall asleep. Well, what is that? Lord, was that a lion? Well, what, what, what is that? And oh, there is a lion. Please help us, Lord, right? And in the same way, we are called to allow our watchfulness to recognize, man, we need to be alert for sin in our lives. We need to be alert of what's going on in my heart. I need to learn to see what I don't normally see. I need to be watchful what's going around me, not just while I'm praying, but while I am alive. 
I need to be watchful because there is a lion who is hungry and is prowling and he seeks to kill and destroy. And for that reason, Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful. Now, if that verse ended there, we would all go home feeling like piglets, right? It's just like, whoa, 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 what's wrong? What is that? Okay, and, and that is not kind of the anxious state God wants us to be in prayer. And so the last word we're gonna talk about this morning is where Paul said, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, let me ask you a question. What are the circumstances that normally lead you to pray deeply with sincerity? Normally when things go wrong, right? You're in a bit of a pickle, Something's gone wrong in your life. Something's gone wrong in you. So there are circumstances that are very testing and trying. And those are the circumstances that naturally get you on your knees. But what happens when everything goes right? Isn't our tendency to kind of pat ourselves on the back? To start to believe that that's because I put in the hard yards. That I did a good job. That I deserve this. Now, when I was lecturing at the theological college, one of the things we had to look out for was, um, and the word is escaping me right now, so let me look here. Not perjury, oh, gosh, hey? Plagiarism. Close. So we had to look out for plagiarism. And these days, because assignments are given to us online, there are actually software that, models that can look out for that for us. But what is plagiarism? Plagiarism is when I take somebody else's idea, I fail to give them the credit, and I take the credit myself. And that actually becomes a form of theft. Now, there's nothing wrong. In fact, even in a Bible college, you can get kicked out of the college for, play, for plagiarism. If you're in a professional environment, you could lose your job. You could get sued for plagiarism because it's theft. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting an idea from somebody else. It's called research. But the whole idea is I acknowledge that I get this idea from this other person. And in the spirits of that, this whole topic of plagiarism I got from Timothy Keller, from his book on prayer. And he's saying, if we are not living grateful hearts, we are claiming certain things for ourselves where God deserves the glory. Listen to how he says it. Cosmic ingratitude is living in the illusion that you are spiritually self-sufficient. It is taking credit for something that was a gift. It is the belief that you know best how to live, that you have the power and ability to keep your life on the right path and protect yourself from danger. That is a delusion and a dangerous one. In the end, we not only rob God of the glory due to Him, but the assumption that we are keeping our lives going robs us of the joy and relief that constant gratitude to an all-powerful God brings. I love the way C.S. Lewis gets us to think about thankfulness and gratitude. He says, take every pleasure and make it into a channel of adoration. In other words, you wake up and you're alive. Thank you, Lord. What kind of God gives me life? This kind of God. 
You have breakfast. And again, it's not like, oh, I'm praying now. I've got all lots of things I need to be thankful for. No, you have a good breakfast. You have a good meal. You see your good wife. You see your good kids. You get in a car that functions. You see the warm sun. You go to a job that uh, you are so grateful to have. And every single one of those pleasures can be turned into gratitude. What a good God to give me these things. What kind of good God gives us these kinds of good things? That kind of a good God. Have you ever met a grumpy, grateful person? The answer is no. Now, I know we have different demeanors. Some of you are more sunshine and some of you are more thunderclouds. I won't tell you where I am on that spectrum. But imagine just fostering constant gratitude within us where we are nurturing this gratitude towards God, thanking Him for so many good things. Can you see how suddenly that will foster and nurture a devoted prayer life? Because not only am I praying for these things once a month and trying to remember all the good things in my life, but I'm being watchful. I'm being devoted because of the deep things that I know God is doing in me and through me and in His world. And I'm also so grateful all the time for His goodness. Can you see how that will shift who you are? Then it'll shift how you see the world and it'll shift how you see God. And you will tend to, if you are living out these three values of being devoted, of being watchful and being thankful, you're gonna start seeing God working. I guarantee you that. If prayer was so important for Paul, the teachings on their own were not enough. He had to pray them into us. If prayer was the power behind so much of God's powerful work through Jesus Christ, how much more ought we to be devoted and watchful and thankful in prayer? The Bible's got so much more to say about prayer. But man, oh man, even if we take those three words away this morning, we've got really something to challenge us. Now, I want to leave you with something very practical. We've taught on the Lord's Prayer a number of times here at Riverside. We've taught on some of the other prayers, in the, whether they be in the Gospels or whether they be in the other parts of the New Testament and how they really can become practical tools to help us pray. But I want to leave you with something that came across my sort of inbox a couple of weeks ago. And I really thought I'd love to leave this with you guys to try and help you take steps towards a devoted prayer life. Because again, maybe you sit down, you're like, oh, the next hour I'm going to pray. All right, dear Lord. <sighs> right. So on the screen, and um, by the way, this is on the app and will, is available to you under resources, something that you can download, something that life groups are going to be looking at this week. Here is a prayer hour. The whole idea is there are 12 segments on this chart and each segment represents five minutes. You can pray for five minutes, can you? Now, all you need to do is pray for five minutes, 12 times. Just about 12 different things. So the first one is praise. Quite honestly, just, you know, this is our Father, God in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is take out a song and worship God, a song that was meaningful to you on Sunday. All right, so, uh, 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 something that is on your heart, something that you're so grateful for, just praise God for five minutes. Number two, confession. This is where we look inwardly. This is where we look how we have failed God. This is how we look at the sin in our hearts. We bring that before God, thanking Him for forgiveness, thanking Him that we are not condemned in Christ, thanking Him that He also cleanses us from unrighteousness, 
Jesus has paid the price and I can walk this day free, right? Number three, thanksgiving. Oh Lord, the last 24 hours, you have been so good to me in the following ways. Number four, praying scripture. Where you take a verse like today or a verse like last week and you really just allow that scripture to shape the content of your prayers. If we don't do that, we're always gonna pray for the things that I want. But praying scripture allows me to pray the things that God wants. And I get shaped by praying scripture. Number five, petition. That's where I ask God, where the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day. So we ask God, we bring our needs before Him. Number six is intercession, whereby I'm praying on behalf of others. Maybe you're praying on behalf of your family or behalf of the church or behalf of uh, someone in your workplace who's going through a rough time and you're trusting that God is actively somehow working in response to your prayer. Number seven, mission. We as a church have been, been able to celebrate so much of what God is doing and kind of watch this space. There's so much more that God is already nurturing in us as a church. There are so many things that we as a church can be praying for when it comes to mission. Number eight, pray for the church. Christ's bride. That through the church, the powers of this world would see the grace of God. That's what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. Pray for the unity of the church. Pray for the power of the church. Pray that the church would get God and would be transformed by God. Number eight, sorry, number nine, pray for your family. Number 10, pray for evangelism. And by the way, not for other people to evangelize, pray for your own opportunities. Pray for people that you want God to touch deeply with the gospel. Pray for God to show you opportunities where you can be light and salt to others and where you can reach out with truth and where you can reach out with love. Number 11, spend five minutes listening. Lord, do you have anything to say? And, and, and when, you, when uh, an idea comes into your mind, write it down. Lord, is this you? Test it. Test it to Scripture. But you'll be amazed to see what God can say to you while you listen in the context of His Word, in the context of His presence, and in the context of this kind of prayer that has been shaped. And then finally, number 12, worship. The Lord's Prayer ends up with, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So we start off with a high view of God where our hearts are, are really uh, um, inflamed by Him. And we end off on the same note. And we go out into the day, seeing the world differently, right? This is something I guarantee you, I don't care if you've been a Christian for five seconds or 50 years, you can do this. And the encouragement for us this morning is to become devoted, to become watchful, and to become thankful in our prayers. And here's a very simple tool to help you do that. So I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us as a church. And just like Paul realized it's not enough to teach, I'm going to trust God to take what I'm teaching and kind of massage it into us. Let's do that this morning. Father, first of all, I thank you what it says about you that you call us to pray. Father, that you invite us to come into your presence as sons and daughters. We don't have to come bowing and scraping, Lord. We get to speak to you. We get to pour out our concerns upon you. 
and we get to know you as a God who cares and loves and loves to listen and loves to give. I thank you that you are God who desires to be known, known deeply by us as you know us. Thank you, Lord, that somehow you have invited us to participate in your kingdom by praying and by trusting your power and by trusting your sovereignty, by trusting your yes, by trusting your character. But I thank you that prayer is this place as much as sometimes we struggle to see immediate results. God, it is probably the most formative place in this world. Our closets, on our knees next to our bed, desperately praying to you. I thank you, Lord, that is a place we meet you. That is a place we experience you. That is a place we are transformed. That is a place our eyes are opened to see your kingdom coming. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that there is an invitation to something more in every single one of our hearts. And regardless of how much guilt we felt half an hour ago or how much we had no faith in prayer, Holy Spirit, I pray that we are sensing just this positive way that we can step into praying again. We can prioritize this, be devoted in prayer as we are devoted to you. And if you have shown your devotion to us. So Holy Spirit, open up the eyes of our hearts to see the truth of this, to see the truth of Jesus, to see the truth of your word and your kingdom around us. Give us words and hearts to pray. Allow us to see you, Jesus, in prayer and therefore in our day. God, nurture and grow a thankful heart. Holy Spirit, allow us to see danger. Allow us to be alert and watchful. But allow us to be confident in the God who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.